start by asking you a couple of questions, and then you can tell your neighbor, okay? And so this is kind of an all-play, and think about this question carefully. What does not matter to you now that did matter to you when you were in high school? All right? What matters, what does not matter to you now that did matter to you in high school? And I'll get you started with one. Guess genes don't matter. Amen? All right, so just turn to your neighbor real quick. Tell them what doesn't matter anymore. All right, how many of you said grades don't matter anymore? Amen? GPA? It mattered then. It doesn't matter so much anymore. Nobody asked me today, hey, that was a good sermon, Pastor. What was your GPA in high school? Uh, your popular, thank goodness for not asking me that, all right? Uh, what's your, your popularity does not matter. How many of you said being tan? Being tan doesn't matter anymore, all right? Used to matter. If you had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, that mattered back then. Lip gloss. How many of you women said lip gloss? That mattered back then. Doesn't matter as much today. Big hair. When I was in the 1980s, uh, it really mattered. The girls, uh, they really cared how big their hair was. You guys remember those days? And uh, they teased it quite a lot. All right, second question. What does matter to you today that did not matter to you in high school? What matters to you today that did not matter to you in high school? All right, just real quick, turn to your neighbor. All right, how many of you said family? Family. Family matters now more than it did back then. You, you didn't realize how much it mattered back then. Relationships, true relationships, meaningful relationships. How many of you said faith matters today more than what it did back in the day? All right. Values, values matter more. I, I put on my list money matters more today than what it did back then. It mattered back then. It's just different, right? Now we're providing for other people as well. Well, guys, in this series, we're going to talk about what matters most for all of us, and more importantly, what matters most to God. And our landing spot for this series is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, and in these chapters, the Apostle Paul is writing to inspire Christians in a city called Corinth to follow the example of Jesus in every area of their life. Paul wanted them to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. He wanted them to embrace Jesus' priorities, Jesus' focus, Jesus' expressions, and shouldn't we all want that? Shouldn't we all care about the things the Lord Jesus cares about? And the first thing Jesus cared about is extending his message of hope and grace to the world. Here's our key verse for today. It's actually 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. So you can correct that because somebody corrected me first hour. Amen? Verse 9. For you, And this is going to come up several times. It's the only time I'm going to mention it. All right? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That sentence captures what we call the gospel. And the gospel is good news. It is good news that God loved you so much that he became one of us. He lived among us. He gave his life for us. He died and resurrected from the dead so that we could be reconciled to him. He sacrificed for us so that we could have eternity with him. He became poor so that we might become rich. He left the throne room of heaven to enter our world so that we might be able to be reconciled to God. That is called the gospel. And friends, I want to be as clear about this as I can this weekend. The gospel matters. The good news matters because people matter to God and they matter to us. People do matter, all people. 
extroverts and introverts, salesmen and statesmen, poor people and rich people, homemakers and world shakers, left brain people and white, right, right brain people, black people and white people, people of every nation and tribe and tongue, red, well, yellow, black and white. I cannot speak tonight. It is all precious in his sight. Everybody matters. And this is one of the big reasons why we as fellow believers in Jesus here at Axis, we are opening that second campus in Middletown and why we are embracing and embarking upon this journey together called It Matters. This campaign involves building a modest metal worship building for the Middletown campus to facilitate growth and worship. This campaign involves bringing live worship experiences from here inside Axis Church and broadcasting them to the world. We tried to do that for a while, and it necessitated us upgrading equipment to be able to give a quality experience online like we experience here. The campaign even involves some much-needed upgrades to uh, what we have here. And, and most importantly, the Axis Kids City area, including new carpet in that area. How many of you said amen? You've seen that. The kids will be disappointed because they've been ripping it apart for years. And... Um, but we're going to expand our nurseries as well because uh, our offices are moving to behind the stage over in the Axis Kid City area. It'll be a cleaner look up front in the Axis Kid City area that'll allow us to expand those nurseries because we're having a lot of babies. Amen. There are seven, I think, of you who are pregnant right now, and uh, it's really amazing. So all this is important. But the reason that we plan for this and the reason we support this and sacrifice for it is because people matter. People in Mason matter. Kids who come, families who want their children in a safe, comfortable environment, that matters. People in Middletown matter. There are significant needs in Middletown. Everywhere where I go, where I talk about what we're doing in Middletown. Uh, recently, I went to two local businesses and I said, could we use your parking lot for an event we're doing up there? And they said, uh, one of them said yes, one of them said no. But both of them said this, boy, Middletown really needs this. Thank you for coming. And, and, and what we're hearing from people there is that the needs are so real and so prevalent right now in Middletown, Ohio, and in Franklin, that Middletown matters. Providing worship experiences online that are quality and accessible and relevant matters as people more and more today at times are avoiding the church, but they're not avoiding spiritual truth. So the message matters. The gospel matters. And we want to remove every barrier so that people can easily access the, gra the grace of Jesus. Now to put this in context, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1-8, through 8, we're going to read the whole thing together. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave of themselves first all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also the completion of this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. 
For we know that the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now what was happening here is Paul is raising money for the churches in Jerusalem. They were utterly in shambles. They were facing incredible persecution. The the Roman leaders and the Jewish religious leaders were oppressing the Christians in Jerusalem, so much so that many of them were scattering. They were leaving homes. Their businesses were closing. Many of their family members had been killed for their faith. They were socially kicked out of their Jewish social circles. And so in the midst of that, Paul then leaves that area and goes to Macedonia, which is north, and begins to ask for and say, could you, brothers and sisters, help our sisters and brothers in Christ in Jerusalem? And they did. In fact, out of their own poverty. In fact, out of their own need. They still gave. They, in fact, urgently pleaded for the opportunity to give to brothers and sisters. They didn't even know. Because why? Because the gospel matters. And so Paul is telling the Corinthian believers, those who live in the southern area, to say, how can we be like those Macedonia believers and how can we help the, what, the ones who, who follow Christ in Jerusalem? And Paul is reminding them, be like those in Macedonia. Give. And listen, guys, in a real way, this is what we're doing. Because as a group of people, we're asking the Middletown believers to come together with us on this journey to help support the kids in Mason, Ohio, and to help provide for some needed changes here out of their own poverty. And we're asking those in Mason to help support the ongoing mission of Jesus in the city of Middletown and beyond by building a place for worship and training center to bring the gospel of Jesus to an area that desperately needs to know about the grace of Christ. Why? Because it matters. Because people matter to God, and so they also matter to us. And here are some things that I see that just come right out of of this text and speak right to my heart. One of them is that grace is our motivator. Verse 1, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Paul uses the word grace seven times in this chapter and three times in chapter 9. Grace is the incarnation of God's Son, His death, His resurrection. His grace means you don't deserve it, but God's favor is upon you. And that is the heartbeat of why it matters. I mean, think about it. Don't you realize how much God's grace, God's generosity has transformed your own life? I mean, the reason any of us does anything generous is because somebody else somewhere along the way did something generous for us. Somebody gave us more than we we deserved. That's called grace. Tony Campalo retells the story of walking through a train station and coming upon a crowd gathered helplessly around a man who's having some kind of a seizure. And he was writhing there on that dirty concrete floor. And suddenly a stranger pushed through the crowd, knelt beside the man, and with swift, experienced movements, he took off his jacket, wadded it up, and put it under the man's head. And then he reached down and he held the man's head up to keep it from thrashing on the floor. As the seizure subsided, the crowd melted away, but Tony Campalo stayed behind to commend this man for his quick and tender response to this other man's needs. The stranger shook his head and said, Oh, it's nothing. Campalo insisted it had been something marvelous, at which point the stranger told him this story. He said, you see, mister, the two of us were in Vietnam together, and when our helicopter was shot down, Bill here was wounded badly about the shoulders, while both my legs were torn up by shrapnel. We waited and we waited, but no rescue copter came to pick us up. I couldn't walk at all. 
and was slowly bleeding to death. And so I told Bill to try to get out without me, but he wouldn't listen. Instead, he picked up those wounded shoulders of his and carried me three days through the jungle to safety. Years later, I received a letter telling me he was sick and his condition was getting worse. So I quit my job, sold my house and my car, and flew here to take care of Bill. Because, mister, after what he did for me, there is nothing I wouldn't do for him. And friends, do you understand what Jesus has done for you and me? He hoisted you upon his shoulders, the weight of a broken world. He counted it worth the cost to carry the burdens all the way to the cross so that we might be saved. Out of his undying love, he gave everything he had for us. Paul puts it this way. You know the generous act of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. After what he has done for us, his grace motivates us to love people. The other thing I see is that God changes our priorities. Verse 5, it says, and they exceeded, talk about the Macedonians, they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first all of, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. And friends, they gave all to the Lord, all of themselves. And when you understand what Christ has done for you, it changes your priorities. It causes you to rethink everything. We give of ourselves all to the Lord. And when you give yourself all to the Lord, you realize God is just not one thing on your to-do list. He is the list. And verse 7 indicates that it's an all-in deal. He says, excel in everything, faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness and love. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Next week, Josh is going to unpack that verse for us and talk to us about how we are all called to grow, that growth matters. But in every area of your life, we excel. We don't just give God our best on Sundays. We make Him Lord of our life in every area of our life. Why? Because here's the truth. In some years from now or sooner, you're going to go from this life to the next, and someone will put you in a suit or a dress, and people will cry, and they will talk about your life, and they will celebrate you, and after that, they will meet back at the church, and they will all have potato salad together. And your children and your grandchildren will remember you, but your great-grandchildren will barely even know your name. And the generation beyond that will not know you at all. And it puts things in perspective, doesn't it? A really wise king in the Bible named Solomon was the wealthiest man in history and also the wisest. He had it all, money, power, influence, and success. But with all of that, here's what he said. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took no delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon is saying all this stuff, all this that I thought were priorities, all the time you spent at work, all the effort you gave there, the promotions, the travel, the late nights, all the money you had tried to keep and save, the house you built, the cars you drove, all the time you spent pushing your kids to be the best at their sport or at their music or with their grades, all the push, 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 go, go, go. At the end of your life, what will it matter? Now, friends, please hear me. The Bible is clear that when we work, we do work with all of our heart. God is not opposed to sports or grades or work or travel or money. But, but what he's saying is you have to have the right priorities. 
You have to don't live under this false pretense that your life is like a big pie and God is just one piece of the pie. Don't segment your life. It's all good stuff, but you have to begin to see from different perspective and say, yeah, I love all of these things, but God is the pie. And around that, I'm going to build everything else. You can become a success in every area of your life and still a complete and utter failure. You could be a millionaire and still be a failure. Your kid could be the champion, the MVP, and you could still be a failure. Why? Because if God is not the center of your heart and life, you miss the biggest thing. That's why it says in Matthew, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Put him first. Seek his will first, his kingdom, his righteousness. Because one of the devil's greatest tools is to convince us that our relationship with God is a Sunday-only event and just one piece of the pie. Put in your time. Serve a little bit even. And the devil likes to make God one of the items on your weekly two list rather than seeing him as the entire thing. And so what I'm just saying is God changes your priorities, changes your perspective about life. Grace motivates us because God changes our priorities, and Jesus is our example. Again, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We sacrifice because Christ sacrificed. We love others because Christ loves others. We serve because Christ served. Jesus said our chief assignment as the people of God is to go making disciples. What's he mean by that? He means go and train people and imitate it so that people will ultimately look like me. They will become like me. They will look like me. They will be more like me. Discipleship is about thinking and acting like Jesus. And our vision in this church from the very beginning is to build into our lives the practices and behaviors that we see in the life of Jesus. It is our primary goal that we act and become like him. And according to Jesus, the longer we're Christians, the more our life should imitate Christ. Sometimes we ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? And the best way to answer that question is to say, not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? He's our example. What did he do? He loved like no one else. He cared like no one else, served like no one else, sacrificed like no one else. And so if you want to be like Jesus, you become those things. In John 13, Jesus said, I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. In 1 Peter 2.21, Christ, who suffered for you, is your example. Follow in his steps. In Jesus, we see the very embodiment of generosity. He was generous in spirit, in word, and in deed with all the people he encountered. Make no mistake about it. The goal, the purpose, the end of his sacrifice was what? So that more people would know who he is, that the gospel would be given to more people because it matters, because they matter to God. It's one of the things I love about the church in Acts. In the book of Acts, it's how quickly people started to immediately imitate and act like Jesus. The beauty of their behavior was highly attractive in the Roman world. Nobody could match the beauty of their lives, of these Christians. Their lifestyle was amazing. It was startling. These early Christians were marked by eye-popping generosity. They were radically generous. People looked at these early Christians and asked what has happened inside of them to make them so quick to do good to their fellow man, so quick to be generous, so quick to give themselves and, and to love other people. And I'm just wondering, do people see the same thing in us? I hope so. That's why we celebrate these kind of things. Check this out. That's why this past week we gave items 
to those affected in the tornadoes in Dayton, Ohio, not so access would get the credit, but so that Jesus would be well represented. That's why we've done things like this last week, where we gave popcorn a 2006 Cadillac, and it uh, looked like a brand new one, as my dad used to say. And uh, there's popcorn celebrating, gets rid of that old van. And finally, one of these days, he'll get rid of that thing and, and gets to drive that and, and celebrate. And we do that together, make his life a little better. That's why we do this in El Salvador. We give the keys to Reuben and Regina, and we as a church came together. We gave our entire Christmas offering so that we could build them a house on site at Chalchwapa so that he wouldn't have to take the bus to work at the church. He could work right there in the community. And you see that keyboard down there? I asked him when I was there last time. We were at the beach together. It was our last day. I sat down with him at a table. I said, Reuben, what do you need? And he said, well, we need some musical instruments. And I said, well, what kind? And he said, like a keyboard, a microphone. I said, done. We'll do that at Axis. We'll do that. And I said, you know, I noticed there's a lot more people coming. There's people standing room only. Y'all need more chairs. And so we got more chairs that are there represented also. And then on the next picture, you'll see this is both his house that was just built. And on the left side, those are the bathrooms that we built the year before. And by the way, what a blessing that is, two bathrooms and a shower. Because I have been to that place before they had those two bathrooms. And I assure you. Rumpke is a palace compared to that, man. I mean, it was a palace. And we built those bathrooms, and last year we painted them. All of that was done because we came together because we realized the gospel matters. People matter. And sometimes when we're involved in something like these things, some people might ask, the first question is always, how does this impact me? How does this impact me? Why would we help people in Middletown or in El Salvador or beyond? Why would we do that? How does it impact me? And what I'm asking us during this campaign in particular is to ask different questions. How does this impact the next generation? How does this impact those who have yet to know Christ as Savior? And all of us have to come together. Our time is short in our life. And we have to say, God, what do you want me to do in this generation so that we might be able to help other people come to know faith in Christ? The name of Axis Church is nowhere to be found on this church in Chalchwapa. Iglesia Christiana, the Christ, the church of Christ in Chalchwapa. Jesus gets the credit, not us. We want Jesus to be the one who is celebrated in El Salvador and beyond. The Apostle Paul said it this way. In Philippians chapter 1, another letter that he wrote, by the way, and he wrote this letter to a group of believers while he was in prison and he had been harmed for his faith and abused for his faith, gone under complete torture, and he's writing about joy, and he writes this, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You can jail me, you can beat me, you can kill me, but you cannot kill the spirit inside of me. You cannot kill the mission I'm a part of. For me to live, that's great because I get to represent Christ every day of my life, but for me to die, that's fine too because I'll be in heaven celebrating the God I love. His comfort doesn't matter to him. The gospel is what matters. His reputation does not matter to him. The gospel is all that matters. Life or death doesn't even matter to Paul. The gospel is all that matters. And so we, so we see Paul. He doesn't care about his comfort. He doesn't care about his rights. He's not interested in freedom and independence. He doesn't care about his reputation or defending himself against false gossip. He doesn't even care about death. The gospel is all that matters to him because God's grace has to be extended to people because people matter to God. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. And that sounds so unreal to us. 
How does Paul do that? How can he be so committed? How can he be so single-minded? How can things seem so important to us and yet so trivial to Paul? His life, his even death, his whole existence is defined by the Christ who died for him. And living for Jesus has to do with spreading his gospel as far and as wide as he possibly can, regardless of personal sacrifice. Oh, that the gospel would be all that mattered to us. Oh, that we would have the conviction of Paul. Oh, that we'd be that close to the identity of Christ that Paul had. That we were so focused, so confident, so single-minded in our commitment that the gospel would be all that matters. What a difference that would make to us. What a difference it would make to our families and churches and schools and universities and places of work. If we were so convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what matters. How often we get distracted by minor things that don't matter. How often we get distracted by popularity or success or girlfriends or boyfriends or money or power or good grades in class. The things that ultimately in the end of our life will not matter in comparison to the gospel of Christ. It matters. And friends, what we're doing over the next several weeks together, it's not about raising funds. It's about raising us. It's about saying, God, would you take us to a new depth and a new height in our own relationship with you as we model the sacrificial, generous, loving spirit of Christ. Why? So that more and more people, children in Mason, families in Middletown, will come to know the incredible grace of our Lord. It matters. God, we thank you today for loving us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the good news message, the gospel that matters to the world. And God, help us to have that same resolve, that same passion that says, I will do my very best. I will do what it takes so that, God, that more people will come to know you. And God, we honor those believers in another city, just like the Macedonia believers gave to the believers in Jerusalem. God, we bless, we honor another city because that city desperately needs this. And God, in our, own, in our own sphere of influence here in Mason and beyond, God, as we make updates to the facility here, God, I just pray that all of this will come together in a way that more families will be reached, uh, more children will be securely checked in. God, that our online experience will be quality and, and more people will hear the gospel message through that. God, help us to do all of that together. And I pray that you'll be honored by our efforts, we ask in Jesus' name.